You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Okay, so uh, our primary scripture that we're going to look at uh, for our study is going to be Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And you'll know as soon as you get to this uh, that it is going to be a challenging teaching. Um, so let me go ahead and read. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Heavy. So this leads us to our theme for this study, which is real Christians show up on Wednesday night. You can laugh. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. (laughs) Um, That's not really our study. So uh, it does bring up a point that I believe many of you here tonight really are walking out your salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, and, and that's an awesome thing. So those of you that are really just uh, walking forward in the faith and and you're being the church where you're at, I just encourage you, keep the faith, keep walking. You're a light in a fallen world. And uh, and I just wanted to to put that out there. And... uh, and it's a good job. And I just remember that, want you to remember that faith is more than just uh, showing up here and, uh, and gathering with the saints. We're called to mission, uh, which anyone that made our pneumatology class last night, I see several of y'all here, um, we covered that. The Holy Spirit, uh, part of that, we need the Holy Spirit for mission, and we are called to be on mission, not just missions. Uh, so anyway, again, I repeat, the message is for all of us. Uh, and and it's, it's, we are the Wednesday night crew, so to speak, showing up faithful, keep it coming Wednesday nighters. Um, also, we need to be exhorting those that we rub shoulders with, whether it's the, our Sunday crowd, whether it's the people at work, maybe somebody at the gas station. Um, we, we all have our different circles and spheres of influence and uh, many people that will call themselves Christians. And so this is an encouragement for us to also encourage them and exhort them and, and call those that call themselves Christians into, uh, in, into a place of submission to God and walking like God. So uh, we're really going to look here at the high call of Christ fully, and we want to also not fall into the dangers of cultural Christianity. Some of you may have heard this term. It's going to be a big focus for tonight. So uh, not of this world, avoiding the dangers of cultural Christianity. That's, that's going to be our theme if you're taking notes. So uh, to look at our outline, we're first going to be looking uh, at the real church and three questions that we're going to look at for our outline questions are, what is cultural Christianity? What is the true church? And what is the church doing? So uh, these are going to be some key terms we're going to look at. I'm going to go ahead and define some terms so you'll know what I'm talking about. We would have them up on the slide, but I, I, I honestly finished this study's polishing like 15 minutes before I got here. Apparently, 14 hours is not enough time to prepare to teach, so, <laughs> so I'm going to just define some terms and, uh, and, and bear with me as we go through them here. So I use Merriam-Webster uh, to use some of these. It's just a general dictionary. Uh, we're going to define culture first, um, the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or social group, also the characteristics, features, uh, characteristic features of everyday existence, such as 
diversions or a way of life shared by people in a place or a time. And an example given would be popular culture or for us, Southern culture. So uh, the set of shared attitude, this is another definition, a set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. So uh, an example there would be a corporate culture focused on the bottom line. So uh, there can be a particular culture within a body of people, even of believers. Uh, what we're looking at tonight is a culture uh, of the world. What better for Christianese term is of the world. So we're going to define the, the, the term world shortly after so that everybody's on the same page. Um, we're also going to look at this term Christian. We looked at cultural, now we're going to look at Christian, and then we're going to look at cultural Christianity. So Merriam-Webster defines Christian as a noun, as one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Merriam-Webster also defines Christian as an adjective, treating other people in a kind and generous way. Mighty Christian of you, they might say. And so they can take that away, uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean what we would call a biblical definition of, of Christianity, uh, but it is used by the world and sometimes misused. So I want to not conflate terms and make sure everybody understands what we're talking about here. So um, obviously, that's not just an acceptable definition of Christian to do nice things. So uh, it's not really even logical for those outside of Christianity to, to define the term for us. Really, if you think about it, do we let the world define what Christianity is or are we going to? So I want to present what, what a, just a kind of a succinct definition is of Christianity. Uh, so the short version is little Christ uh, for Christian. Uh, so we could go to basic etymology of the word and go into all the details, but really it goes from the Latin Christus to Christianus to uh, the Middle English Christian. Um, and then if we look at Acts chapter eleven twenty six is our first biblical use of the term Christian uh, in Antioch. And I'm going to read that for you if you want to flip, flip along or, or snap through on your phone. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And we had, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, this, the disciples were first called Christians. That's actually verses 25 and 26 there. So the names attributed to those following Christ uh, called disciples. And I want to take a little side note to define that disciples' base word is discipline. Uh, that's really important, and that keys in with our study tonight. Uh, so the Christians there followed Jesus' teachings and the teachings of the apostles. So those who deviate from the core doctrines of Christianity might call themselves Christian, but that doesn't make it true. In the world today, I could call myself a lady, but we all know that doesn't make it true. So there's an objective truth here. And uh, just because somebody bears a label or writes it on their, their little resume and their LinkedIn or whatever, doesn't make it true. So we want to be, as the church, authentic Christians and understanding what that means. I, uh, I like this definition. I use gotquestions.org sometime for apologetic questions, and, and they actually usually have pretty good theology um, from, from what I've observed. I'm going to read their definition there of cultural Christianity. Uh, and it says, cultural Christianity is a religion that superficially identifies itself as Christianity, but does not truly adhere to the faith. A cultural Christian is a nominal believer. He wears the label Christian, but the label has more to do with his family background and upbringing than any personal conviction that Jesus is Lord. Quote, Cultural Christianity is more than social, is more social than spiritual. A cultural 
Christian identifies with certain aspects of Christianity, such as the good works of Jesus, but rejects the spiritual aspects required to be a biblically defined Christian. Some people consider themselves Christians because of family background, personal experience, country of residence, or social environment. Others identify as Christian as a way of declaring a religious affiliation as opposed to being Muslim or Buddhist. Famed scientist and atheist Richard Dawkins, I found this really interesting, refers to himself as a quote-unquote cultural Christian because he admires some of the ceremonial and philanthropic aspects of Christianity. Dawkins is not born again. He simply sees Christianity as a label to use. So again, that's from gotquestions.org. and uh, anyway, it's just, it's a quote. It's, they did a pretty succinct job of putting that together. Uh, there's no substitute for defining and searching deeper the real meaning within the scriptures. There's no substitute for that, but I wanted to use that as a reference. Uh, and so uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians aptly shows what the authentic Christian looks like in a really uh, basic understanding for what our high calling as believers in Christ uh, is what, what, what that calling is. And I'm going to read it. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that's authentic Christianity. It's to, be, it's to die to self and to live in God, to be born again, truly. So next we're going to look at the uh, definition of church from Merriam-Webster. You might see how this is starting to come together. We're going to get to our applications here shortly. Um, so there's a couple of different ones that Merriam-Webster used. I stuck with Merriam-Webster because I did for the other definitions here. So uh, one is a building for public and especially Christian worship. Uh, two is a clergy or officialdom of a religious body. I've never heard that officialdom used in a sentence before, but there it is. Uh, And I have a quote here. The word church is put for the persons that are ordained for the ministry of the gospel. That is to say, the clergy by J. Aliff. And I'm just going to put that out there wrong. Um, So three, often capitalized, a body or organization of religious believers such as the whole body of Christians. Uh, And here's another quote. The one church is the whole body gathered together from all ages. And that's J.H. Newman. Uh, I think Newman is actually on, on the right track here. So these are world's definitions of church um, that I think Newman is getting a little bit closer. I'm going to give a little bit more of a, a little bit more into the church. Later on in our study, we're going to talk a little bit about the invisible church and the visible church, but I want to continue with our terms right here, so bear with me as we're, as we're tackling this. So um, the last term we're going to define is world. Uh, and this is the Christianese term, not like the geog- geographic term of, of the world. So in the sense that we're using it tonight, it's going to be used as um, all things that are not of God. So it's just a real basic definition. Uh, and that's really just my own summary. Um, and let's let scripture define it a little bit better for us. So 1 John 3.1 says this of the world, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then later on in the same passage in John chapter 3, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Uh, and that's First uh, John three thirteen. So the verses show that the world or those that are not children of God are in an 
in an actual opposition to God and to us. So that's what we're gonna be using as the world to, just to kind of help fill in our outline here. So it's also defining the world as an enemy of which I'm gonna uh, suppose here, I'm gonna put that out and submit that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the Satan. And right now we're just gonna be focusing on, on the world. Uh, and really we're gonna say that's the systems, groups, people, etc., that are all opposed to God and his children, okay? So in defining terms, we actually covered our first main question and we have three main questions here. What is cultural Christianity? And so we can summarize cultural Christianity as religion that superficially identifies itself as Christianity, but does not truly adhere to the faith. And so often we run into that. I, uh, I get to say this because I'm from Texas. So, okay, I'm a Texan and I'm married a Californian. And so that means I get to make fun of everyone in between that. So, uh, so I get to poke at the Bible Belt. And I have observed after 24 years in the desert that we have certain cultural norms here in the Bible Belt. And uh, not all of them are bad. In fact, many of them are very good. There's a lot of respect and reverence that's cultural towards the Lord, and that's good. But I think we can see that that could also be identified as cultural Christianity. And what I want us to see tonight and to sharpen the church in, and myself in as well as part of that church, is uh, to not fall prey to this type of thinking, this just kind of cultural type thinking. So um, really, we can be on guard a little bit more about what it is. It's not just a title. It's not like this resume that we put on uh, to, to give us more credence or to help us be more acceptable. I really want to be fighting against this norm of cultural Christianity. So in the Bible Belt, I see that we often, uh, you know, I'm a Christian, and that's what I hear. And, and you, you talk with these people and you walk with these people and you see, I don't know, how can I tell you're a Christian? And, and that's, that's where we get into this cultural Christianity. So I want the church to be set apart from that. And we're set apart from that by uh, some things that we'll see later on. One of them is the fruit that we bear. Um, so that's just a basis for cultural Christianity in answering that question. So we know what cultural Christianity is, and now we're going to get to what is the true church. I said we'd cover this a little bit later and look at the invisible and the visible church. Um, so I just want to dig a little bit deeper into this. Uh, so we could say the invisible church is really a unified body of believers, those that are part of the body of Christ. So everybody that calls on the name of Christ that is, uh, is part of this spiritual family, it's what I would call the invisible church. We also have a visible church. Unfortunately, there's been what we call schism. There's been uh, variations. There's been what we could even call divisions within the visible church. And that's something that I grieve. Uh, but it, it's a reality. So there's a physical church, a presence of believers that we can see. I can come here and be with the physical church. But really, the invisible church, that, that corporate body of the church, what I'll, I'll call the capital C church, and we'll refer to that later, um, I want to define those terms, the invisible church and the visible church. And so uh, to answer our second main question, what is the church? We're going to summarize that uh, in all those belonging at the body of Christ again. So it's not incorrect to call the place that we gather the church. So we can say I'm driving to church. Um, and just as a, as a side note, really, if we go back into that word and how it's used, the ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you pronounce it, um, in the Greek, that would be like the epistles to the ecclesia, ecclesia of Ephesus or Rome or, or wherever. Any of those epistles that Paul wrote, those are addressed to those regional gatherings. So they go to church, little c church. That's a letter to the church there. 
And so I want to just distinguish that capital C church and that little C church. Y'all tracking with me? Are we good? All right, cool. Uh, So we don't want to confuse those two things. uh, And don't feel bad if you call it going to church. But I do expect you to be able to say, hey, what's the church? The people's the church, right? So we can gather in a house. We can gather in a park. We can, we can have church where we're at because God inhabits the praises of his people. That's, that's church. <clears throat> All right, so question number three. This is where it's going to get challenging. What is the church doing? What are we doing? So we are on mission for Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to actually read in, uh, we had it last night again. I'm giving these plugs for these classes. If y'all aren't in the classes, join the classes. They're great. Uh, last night in the pneumatology class, we covered this uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we're called to be on mission as Christians. So what is our mission? Our mission field, it can be the workplace. Like I said, the gas station. Uh, our first one is really our, our own discipleship and then our maybe our spouse if we're married and our children. And it's just going to umbrella from there. So we have these different spheres of influence that we're called to be the church too. And that means bringing up disciples of all the nations. We're going to get to that in a little bit. So We are also not of this world, but we're called to be salt and light in it. So Jesus himself said to his church in John 15, uh, verse 19, that we are not of this world. And I'm going to read that as well. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And that makes sense as we discovered what that that word world means in the reference we're using here. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that means we're to live like Christ and we have salt and light to share, purifying salt. And that salt, just like the salt of ancient Rome, if it lost its saltiness, just throw it on the roads. It's, it's a wasted. So stay salty, church. <laughs> That's the exhortation right there. Stay salty and be the light where we go. And uh, just, it's cliche, but the darker the night, the brighter the light. We live in a world right now that is crazy. You can turn on the news and see all kinds of stuff that 10, 15, 20 years ago, you'd say, that's got to be, be a new movie or a TV show or something. Nothing can be that evil and, and lost. It is. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Don't get me wrong, but I see a greater parallel right now that we're in the times that we're in the, the, with the first century church, with the persecution and just with the lawlessness, with the breakdown of the marriage, with the breakdown of morality, what's good is called evil and evil called good. That's something we should be looking for, right? So more so, we saw so many people saved in that time. We saw Pentecost. We even talked about it last night in class, third plug. I won't do it anymore. I don't promise. 
<laughs> uh, but we saw at Pentecost people preaching the gospel boldly, and we saw people saved. There was persecution. They say the roads of Rome were paved with the blood of the martyrs. People were being martyred for their faith, yet the gospel went forward. We've got all kinds of people that aren't going to be healed by social reform. They're not going to be healed by some kind of new racial legislation or, uh, or a new president. Uh, I might take heat for that, but we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ if we want to see values change. It's, it's, it's not a political issue. There's political problems, but the, real sol- the solving of the problem is found in Jesus Christ, and, and that's what the church needs to be about right now. Um, so we're also known by our fruit, and, uh, and we're supposed to be watching for false prophets. And I'm going to read from Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but in, inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So here's a question to ponder, to think about for all of us. What fruit do you bear? That's something that is a challenge for me. Um, when I think about it through the week, what have I done? Have I just gone to work, eat, go to service, go to bed, work, eat, sleep, repeat? Is that, is that living boldly for Christ? So I'm challenged by this church. I'm challenged by this. I hope that it challenges all of us because we have a high call and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk that out fully. Uh, we need to be more passionate about the gospel that's delivered us from death than we are about the people that we're going to vote for. We need to be more passionate about the one that has paid the price for all of our sins than we are about Antifa burning down buildings. Uh, We need to be more passionate about our mighty God than we are about this world. And that's a high call for all of us. Even as I think about it right now, I can be guilty as charged. I've been out there like, oh, Antifa's coming. Let's go, boys, you know. Um, and I think I need to be a little bit more about God's business, quite a lot more. So it's a challenge. We need to be thinking about the gospel and not just, not just the little things of the day. So is our fruit republicanism? Is it conservatism or conservativism? (laughs) I don't know. Is it patriotism? Is it constitutionalism? They're not inherently bad. I'm not demonizing these things. But if we carry the banner of any of these and neglect to rightly carry the banner and icon of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we're failing. We are. What are we putting out there on our social media? What are we talking about in our conversations when it cover weather and politics? Come on. I mean, we need to be out there sharing the gospel. Let's be real. Let's do it. <clears throat> and that's our next point here, where the church is boldly proclaiming the gospel with the full armor of God. We need to keep the armor on. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture, maybe because I like the whole warrior theme. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Uh, but it really is. It, it's not just about brutish strength. It's not. That's a false 
that's a false sense of what strength is. It's in God. And so we're going to read from Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 20. And, uh, and if you're following along, you can jump in there because I know you're good Bible students. <laughs> uh, Paul a- actually asked a prayer for boldness, uh, but he also reminded these warriors, and that's what you are. If you're called to Christ and you're surrendered to him, you no longer get to watch on the sidelines. You have engaged in spiritual warfare, and you're either going to get your rear end handed to you or you're going to walk in the victory of Christ, and you have to make that decision. And if you want to know how to do it properly, then you're going to read what, uh, what Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's right here in Ephesians 6, uh, among other areas in the scriptures. Right now, if you'd read with me, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And may we ought to speak boldly the gospel, not all... Are are you a believer? The gospel is something that is to be proclaimed boldly, guys. We hear about the lamb that is is this lamb that is slain. Yes, that is Jesus Christ, but our God is a roaring lion of Judah. He's a conquering king. That's a king that we can get excited about. He's coming back, king of kings, lord of lords. That's the boldness that we need to share the gospel with. Not just this, oh, it's not just about potlucks and stuff, guys. We have a gospel, a spiritual battle that we need to be fighting. And if we just show up here on Wednesday nights and on Sundays and maybe a class every now and then, we're failing as Christians. And this is for me too. I need to be sharpened. So I know it's a challenging message, church, but we have so much work to do. And the world is just dark. And the darker the night, the brighter the light. So here we come. Show the light of Christ. We need to show it where we go. So armor up, pray hard, and don't think to overcome evil with evil. We're not going to win evil with evil. We're not going to win with social reform, and certainly not with cultural Christianity. The gospel is what destroys racism, injustice, and evil of all kinds. It breaks down walls, and the word of God, you want to know the weapon of warfare, it's the word of God. This is the sword of spirit. Know it, read it, live it, learn it, read your Bible and pray every single day. This is the armor. This is the sword. It's a powerful, powerful weapon. It's nothing. Uh, if you can't tell or don't, if you don't know me well enough, I, uh, you can often smell gunpowder in my beard. <laughs> I'm an avid shooter, and uh, my nephew visiting from out of town has come, and one of the first things he did is he'd never shot a weapon before. We had him slinging five, five, six rounds downrange in no time. So I'm, I'm big on, on firearms, but I'm going to tell you what. I might think that I'm good with my AR-15. I can do attack reload in a couple of seconds. I can clear corners and all that stuff. My AR-15 ain't got nothing on a John 3.16. 
Okay? It ain't got nothing on it. So remember your weapons of warfare. Use them. And then remember, church, we're not just simply showing up in a little C church week in and week out. We're not just born into it because our parents are Christian or our surrounding culture prefers to hold the title Christian. We don't add Christian to our Bible Belt resume, but we die to ourselves daily and walk in the power of the eternal God and our conquering King, Jesus Christ. And with that, I give you an exhortation, encouragement. Walk boldly. Walk out of this place is, is victorious because Jesus paid the price on the cross already. Victory is won. Walk in victory. We have deliverance. It's a wonderful thing. So remember that we are more than conquerors in Christ. That's a promise from the word of scripture. Those that are called by his name, those are in that invisible body of believers, that, uh, that body of Christ, it's both visible and invisible. That's us, more than conquerors in Christ. So... That last question, just a reminder, what is the church doing? What are we doing? Let's think about that as we go from this place tonight and, uh, and be encouraging one another. And I'm not above that. If you see me dropping the ball, encourage me. And I hope that I love you all enough to do the same thing with you. Let's, let's love each other enough to sharpen each other because we're in a war. We need each other. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.